you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open up to 2 Chronicles chapter 34. You know, there's lots of people that debate on who the most influential president has been in our history. Uh, it's hard not to include the four men that we have up on the screen. Uh, I know that more than likely the, a few of these men will at least make your top five list if you were to try to include some of those men. But you have George Washington, who was our first president, Thomas Jefferson, who was our third, Theodore Roosevelt, and then, of course, Abraham Lincoln. And I would probably argue that Abraham Lincoln um, probably brought about more change and influence. He influenced our country in such a way, uh, so much so that its, its ripple effect is still felt in our, in our country today. And if not for Abraham Lincoln, who was president during the Civil War, I think our country would look very much different uh, than it does today. Uh, through very uh, hard-fought war between the North and the South, a very bloody conflict, uh, the abolishment of slavery with the Emancipation Proclamation, as well as rebuilding a nation after the war um, as it was coming to a close. Those things that Abraham Lincoln was very pivotal in uh, in doing those things. However, Abraham Lincoln would not live to see the end of the war. He would not live to see the nation reunited as one nation uh, under God. So he would be assassinated weeks before the conclusion of the Civil War. Uh, and when I thought about how to open up talking about Josiah, I thought about Abraham Lincoln. Uh, he was a leader of change. He was a leader of the people. And ultimately, he led... In his place of leadership, he led with God uh, foremost on his mind. And as God led him, so he led the country. He led with faith. Gary Scott Smith says this about Lincoln. Lincoln urged Americans to confess their sins, mend their ways, practice charity, and forsake revenge. William Paton goes on to say, In the Soul of Abraham Lincoln, this is a book, he says... Others who knew the 16th president equally well contended that he became an orthodox Christian who read the Bible regularly, prayed fervently, and frequently used scriptural passages and illustrations to express his personal convictions. So when we think about Abraham Lincoln and how he led with conviction uh, due to his beliefs, beliefs in Almighty God... Um, it led to him to make some decisions in our country that were very unpopular to a lot of people of the day. Uh, but Josiah, like President Lincoln, would lead much in the same way. And as we look at King Josiah tonight, we're going to see that a lot of similarities in how he would lead the nation and how he would lead the nation into reform. Some of the things that he did that were... Some people thought they were popular. Some thought they were unpopular. We're going to see that in King Josiah's life. But how did we get to King Josiah? So as the people of God were in bondage in Egypt, and God raised up Moses to be the first leader of God's people, to lead them out of Egypt, to lead them out of slavery, to be the lawgiver. He was their general 
He was not their king, as we talk about the kings, but he was definitely in a leadership role that would be like a king. Uh, We're going to see Moses lead in that way. And when Moses comes to the end of his life, and they're right at the edge of the promised land, God says, you're not going in, but I want you to appoint Joshua to lead the people in. So after Moses is gone, Joshua takes the leadership role of the nation. And Joshua is a military leader. Joshua would lead the people into the promised land. He would wipe out the enemies of God. He would rid the people out of the land almost fully. And he would set up, through Joshua, he would set up the tribes all throughout the country. After Joshua leads us into a time of the judges. And these are kind of... uh, Leaders within the tribe, uh, within the nation of Israel. These were over uh, smaller parts of the nation. These uh, judges, many of them highly flawed, but they had a message from God. But as they spoke to the people, as they fought for the people, as they defeated God's enemies for the people, uh, like I said, many of them were very flawed, but they led the people into a direction of following God, obeying God, uh, even as most of them were flawed at best. Very flawed leadership. And that leads us to the last judge, which was Samuel. Uh, Samuel was great. He led in some amazing ways. Uh, However, when he starts getting older in age, the nation is looking at Samuel as their leader, as the last judge, and they're saying, man, it would be great if you were young, but you're not. And your sons are losers. And we don't want them to take over as leaders in the country. So we need a king. And so Samuel kind of ushers in this time of the kings. And Saul is anointed king over the nation. Um, Saul had many flaws. He led uh, with an iron fist in many ways. He did lots of bad things in his day. And that leads us into a time of King David. Saul was the first king over the nation. That leads us into David. Uh, David was a man after God's own heart. Uh, Yes, he made his mistakes. Yes, he did some foolish things. But overall, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And that leads us to his son Solomon. Solomon starting off amazing. uh, And then towards the end of his life, his wife's um, worship of idols influencing him which led the nation into idol worship, which we're going to see that idol worship is going to be the issue through all of the kings that we've talked about. And so that led to the nation after Solomon. uh, The nation goes into a civil war, and that leads to King Rehoboam in the northern tribe. uh, Excuse me, King Rehoboam in the southern tribe of Judah and King Jeroboam in the northern tribe of Israel which eventually, uh, as we've talked about through this, Israel has been taken into captivity through all of these kings and only the southern nation of Judah is left behind and yet we're going to, we're getting towards the end. You've seen more and more evil kings, less and less good kings. We talked last week about King Manasseh and all the evil that he did. This is his, his grandson, grandson Josiah. And so we're going to pick up with Josiah tonight and we're going to look at him. So Josiah in the Bible, first of all, Josiah's father was Ammon, and he was killed in his own home by his own servants after he abandoned the Lord, the God of his fathers. Uh, uh, 2 Kings, I'll just read this to you right quick. 
It says, he walked in the ways in which his father Manasseh walked. He served the idols that his father served and he worshiped them. He abandoned the Lord, the God of his fathers, did not walk in the ways of the Lord. And the servants of Ammon conspired against him, put the king to death in his house. It says, but the people of the land struck down all those who conspired against King Ammon. And the people of the land made Josiah, the son, his son, king in his place. So there's this uprising against um, Manasseh's son, Ammon. And they conspire against him. His own servants conspire against him. It says they're going to murder him in his own home. And then it says uh, they must have had a plan because the people in retaliation to them killing the king conspire against his servants. They put his servants to death and they place his son uh, Josiah in place of him on, as king on the throne. And so that leads to the po- point number two here. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. I want you to remember Manasseh started off at the age of 12. Here we see his grandson Josiah being put on the throne at the age of 8. Actually, as I was thinking about this, um, I think the USA might be a little better off today if we were to put an (laughs) 8-year-old. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I can't say that out loud. I'm sorry. I want you to try to wrap your mind around an eight-year-old being in charge of the nation for a moment. My daughter, Abigail, is eight years old. Um, Last week, we talked about Manasseh, and he was 12. We saw how that turned out. We saw how he led the nation. And now we have an eight-year-old being placed on on the throne. My wife and I have started talking about the idea of toying with the idea of allowing our children to make decisions for the day on what we eat, what we do, uh, whatever they want to do, that's what we'll do. Whatever we want to eat, that's what we'll eat. If you want to cook, we'll cook. If you want to go out and eat, we'll go out and eat. And the more and more we thought about it, I'm just like, this just sounds like a train wreck in the making. Why would we do that? And so it kind of scares us. We're delaying that decision a little bit. Maybe, you know, uh, let them get a little bit more responsible. But soon we'll try it out and I'll let you know how it goes. But um, to think about an eight-year-old being placed on the throne as the king of Judah. Let that wrap around in your brain for a little bit. Uh, say, uh, next, Josiah's name means Yahweh, his foundation, or Yahweh is foundation. It's, it's kind of both translations. I think that's the meaning of uh, his name because we're, as we're going to see He's going to make Yahweh his foundation. And we're going to see how he does that. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Last point in this section says, Josiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And he walked in all the ways of David, his father. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. This turning to the right or to the left. You know, we've heard in commands... Obey God's word and do not turn from it from the left or to the right. However, sometimes, just a few times in scriptures, we see where the scripture says he did not turn from it from the left or to the right. It's only mentioned in two other kings besides Josiah, King Asa and King Hezekiah. 
And both of these kings were completely devoted to the word of God, as we're going to see King Josiah is tonight. And it was the foundation on how they ran the country. It was the foundation on on all the decisions that that they made made for the country. And so let's take a deeper look at King Josiah. So um, we're going to be in 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 34, starting there in verse 3. First point, Josiah begins his reign by seeking the Lord, And tearing down the high places. Josiah is going to accomplish some amazing things in his life right off the bat. Very, very quickly. We're going to see a very quiet uh, start to his reign. But it's going to be a very quick uh, start to his reign as well. In verse 3 it says, For in the eighth year of his reign, which would have been when he was 16, while he was yet a boy... He began to seek the God of David, his father. One of the bedrock reasons why Josiah was able to turn the nation in the direction that he does is because he began seeking the Lord and he began spending time with the Lord and he began obeying the Lord. Okay, And so that's how he starts off his reign at 16 years old, seeking the Lord. I was talking to Jake this week. Uh, as, as I was studying for about Josiah, and I said, Jake, this is perfect for youth ministry. You're, you have the perfect opportunity to say, you're never too young to start seeking the Lord. You're never too young to start uh, serving the Lord and following after Him and being dedicated to being uh, all, you know, completely sold out for the Lord. And so at the age of 16, he is diligently seeking Yahweh. He's seeking a relationship with the Lord. And we're going to see by 20, he's ready to take action. Because, uh, skip down to the next, let's continue reading. In the 12th year, which means he was 20, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of all the high places, of the ashram and the carved and metal images. They chopped down the altars of the bells in his presence, and he cut down the incense altars that stood above them, He broke in pieces the ashram and the carved and the metal images, and he made dust of them. And he scattered it over the graves of those who sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priest on the altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. 20 years old. 20 years old. This would have been around the time that he would ultimately be able to make decisions on his own, been able to reign on his own uh, without the cons- um, consultation of others. This is when he, quote unquote, would have become a man. And he has conviction. He has conviction from the Lord to get rid of these idols. Now, we've seen many po- throughout the kings. A lot of the kings would tear the idols down. They would throw them outside of the city gate only to have the next king come up and say, well, let's put them back up. And we'll worship again and we'll uh, offer sacrifices to them. And the next king would come and they would take them down and they would throw them outside the city. And then the next one would come up and put them back up. Not Josiah. He says, I don't want you to just tear them down. I want you to chop them up. And as a matter of fact, we're going to grind them into dust. And then after we grind it into dust, we're going to scatter it on the bones and on the uh, where all of these people have uh, offered these sacrifices. Scatter it there. We're getting rid of these idols. We're getting rid of this stuff in the nation. And so look at verse 5 again. 
He also burned the bones of those who worshiped on the altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. All right, indulge me for a minute. This is kind of cool. Landon showed this to me. I have to bring it up to you. Turn back to 1 Kings chapter 13. 1 Kings 13. The very first king of Israel. A man by the name of King Jeroboam. We mentioned him, you know, a couple of months back. But go back with me to 1 Kings 13, starting in verse 1. Read with me. Here we go. And behold, a man of God came out of Judah by the word of the Lord to Bethel. And Jeroboam, remember, he's the king of Israel, was standing by the altar to make offerings. And a man cried out against the altar. Not against Jeroboam, against the altar. By the word of the Lord, and he says, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord. Behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name. He shall sacrifice you on, on you the priests of the high places who make offerings on you, and human bones shall be burned on you. So here we see a verse in pro, that prophecy is being fulfilled right here in the life of Josiah. A little over 300 years later after this prophet said that these things would happen, we're going to see these things come into fruition. Remember, Israel has already been taken into exile. They're gone. They're not in the nation. And yet Josiah is going up, not just in Jerusalem, not just in Judah, but he's going throughout all of the nation, ridding the nation of these idols and of these places of worship. And he even goes to this one particular idol, this altar in Bethel. And he sees the bones of the priests and those who made sacrifices on the altar. He says, bring out the bones. We're going to get rid of them. We're getting rid of the nation of all this stuff that we've done. Uh, 2 Kings 23. Flip over to 2 Kings 23 again. This is good stuff. 2 Kings 23. We're going to be reading in verse 15. 2 Kings 23, starting in verse 15. It says, Moreover, the altar at Bethel, the high place erected by Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, who made Israel to sin, that altar of the high place he pulled down and burned, reducing it to dust. He also burned the Asherah. And as Josiah turned, he saw the tombs were, uh, uh, tombs were on the mount, and he sent and took the bones out of the tomb, burned them on the altar, and defiled it, according to the word of the Lord that the man of God proclaimed. So Josiah is going throughout the nation and he's going to wipe all of these idols out of the nation. He says, we're getting rid of it. I want it gone, not just in Judah, but in Israel and throughout the whole nation. It says he, and you see there a detailed list throughout uh, the Chronicles. It, he goes from city to city to city and he wipes out all of these idols. He turns them to dust. And then he comes back to Jerusalem. Which leads us to our next point. Josiah repairs the temple that his father and grandfather neglected. Back to 2 Chronicles 34. We're going to be reading there in verse 9. It says, And they came to Hilkiah the high priest and gave him the money that had been brought into the house of God, which the Levites, the keeper of the threshold, had collected from Manasseh, and Ephraim, and from all the remnant of Israel, and from all Judah and Benjamin, and from the inhabitants of Jerusalem. 
And they gave it to the workmen who were working on the house of the Lord. And the workmen who were working in the house of the Lord gave it for repairing and restoring the house. They gave it to the carpenters and the builders to buy cord stone and timber for, uh, for binders and beams from the building and that the kings of Judah had let go to ruin. You think about it. It's been six decades, 60 years, plus or minus a few years of complete neglect of the temple. Some kings did well. Some kings set up foreign gods, idol worship within the temple. They've completely neglected it. Some of the kings shut the doors completely. Get rid of this stuff. They tore down all of the the things that were worshipped to Yahweh. They took them out and they destroyed them. So there's a lot to do in the temple to rebuild it, to restore it. And it says Josiah is going to be a part of those things. And he goes into great detail. If you continue reading there in verse 34. uh, But he goes into really big detail. It goes into details of the things that they repaired, the things that they were reconstructing in the temple. And then they find something amazing, which leads to our next point. Hilkiah the high priest finds the book of the law in the temple. Look at verse 14. While they were bringing out the money that had been brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given through Moses. Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. Shaphan brought the book to the king and further reported to the king, all that was committed to your servants they are doing. They have emptied out the money that was found in the house of the Lord and have given it into the hand of the overseers and the workmen. Then Shaphan, the secretary, told the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it before the king. And when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. During the restoration of the temple, they happen across the Bible, the book, uh, the Torah, uh, which would have been the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They just so happened to come across it. Now, whether it was the original copy that Moses had made, whether it was a copy that was made from the original text, we don't know. But they find it. And they begin to read it. Um, I would guess that the law would have been hidden by one of the priests, possibly during the reign of Manasseh. We remember that Manasseh completely destroyed all of the things in the temple. So maybe one of these high priests... In Manasseh's uh, stupidity uh, said, I'm going to hide this. I'm going to hide it so well that people can't find it. Until they were doing a a reconstruction project and they come across this book, this scroll, this law. And the secretary, the scribe, begins to read it before the king and it cuts the king to the heart. He hears of all of these things. It's been hidden away. So think about this. For six decades, no one has been reading God's law. They haven't been reading it. They don't have it. They don't know where it's at. They probably just assumed that it had been destroyed with Manasseh's reign. But they find it. And they begin listening to it. And it cuts the king to the heart. And, you know, I've uh, come across some videos uh, in ministry throughout the years. And there's one video that still sticks out into my mind. And it's these missionaries in China. And they have smuggled some Bibles into these missionaries. 
and to these students who want to know more about God's Word. And you see them open up this suitcase. And the whole suitcase is just packed with Bibles. And they're giving, giving these Bibles to the students. And you see these students, and they're just holding this Bible, and they're weeping. They've never owned a Bible before. To think that they have a copy of God's Word. They've only heard it. They've never had their own copy. And the way that they're weeping over it, and the way they so carefully open up God's Word, and they're just devouring every word on the page. It's a video that has never escaped my mind, and it's still to this day I can see it as I'm talking about it. Um, That's what I think would have happened in this moment. When they begin reading the words of God on the page and the king is cut to the heart and he tears his clothes. One of these things that I think Josiah would have been concerned about is he sees how God has responded to his people in their disobedience. He's hearing it straight from the word of God. What God has done to his people is they have over and over and over been disobedient to him. And he thinks, wow, our nation is in trouble, right? He sees what has happened to the northern tribe of Israel. He uh, has probably heard what the prophets have foretold about what's going to happen to the southern tribe of Judah. And his heart is heavy about that. So unlike many of the other kings that we've talked about, Josiah seeks wisdom from a godly source. He seeks wisdom from the prophets. Uh, He tells them in 2 Chronicles 34, look at verse 21. Go, inquire of the Lord for me, for those who are left in Israel and in Judah, concerning the words of the book that has been found. It says, for great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us, because our father, our father has, have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. So the guys go to Huldah, the prophetess. And she tells them that God is going to do exactly what you think he is going to do. Judgment is coming. His wrath is coming. He's going to pour it out on the nation. The people will be taken into exile. That's what God said he was going to do. Guess what? That's what God is still going to do. That's what this prophetess tells him. Because they have forsaken the Lord. But but to you, Josiah, this is what the prophetess tells him. Because your heart was tender, because you have humbled yourself before God, because you have uh, torn your clothes, because you were concerned for the people of the land, I will let you die in peace and I will bring this calamity after you are gone. Right? For Josiah, he's like, all right, I bought myself some more time. But because of his humbleness, it says he's going to delay it during the days of Josiah. We see this happen with many of the kings. Because of their humbleness before God, God delays it until after they are gone. He says, you will live out your days in peace, and this calamity will happen after the fact. So how does Josiah respond to that? He's going to get the people together, and he's going to lead them to seek the Lord. Which leads us to our next point. Josiah will reestablish the covenant throughout the nation. Let's keep reading in verse 29. Then the king sent and gathered together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites, all the people, both great and small. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord, 
says, And the king stood in his place, and he made a covenant before the people to walk after the Lord, to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. And he made all who were present in Jerusalem and in Benjamin join in it. And the inhabitants, inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. And Josiah took away all the abominations from all the territory that belonged to the people of Israel and made all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. All his days they did not turn away from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. So Josiah is leading the nation into a revival. He says, not only am I going to devote my life to seeking God personally, not only am I going to devote my life to obeying God personally, but I'm going to lead the nation to doing the exact same thing. I'm going to rid the nation of the idols. I'm going to give them no opportunity to worship other gods. He says, and then we're going to devote our lives to this law. We're going to read it and we're going to do everything in our power to obey it. However, and I don't want us to miss this because this kind of caught me off guard as I read this text. Um, I kept being brought back to some of the wording in verse 31. Because in 2 Kings, if you go back and read this parallel story from Josiah in 2 Kings, you will find that they use the word they. They devoted themselves to obeying the word of the Lord. They devoted themselves to reading the word. They devoted themselves and, and made a covenant with the Lord. They're all plural words for the nation. But here in 2 Chronicles, we see singular terms. Now, we know that Josiah was devoted. 100% he was devoted. And I know that he was not the only person in the nation that was devoted. But when you read it in 2 Chronicles, it starts looking at these terms and it says, with all his heart, with all his soul. These singular terms. This is Josiah's covenant that he is making with God. He's really hoping that a lot of people will join him in that covenant. But as Jim Cowie says about the people, he says, the people entered into, into it for fear of the king. There were very few who shared Josiah's zeal. You know, Josiah's going through the nation and he's ridding the nation of idols and he's devoting uh, to, he's being very devoted to uh, reading of God's word and listening to God's word and obeying God's word. But according to the text here, I mean, and as we're going to see, I inserted two verses from Jeremiah. And these verses are going to tell of the nation and how they react after Josiah. And it's going to be one of idol worship and turning their backs on the Lord and forsaking the Lord. So when we see this little portion in here, it's amazing how Josiah is not discouraged by the nation, but he says, I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to lead this nation into this covenant. And because that's what God wants me to do. Which leads to the next point. Josiah begins keeping the Passover again. Let's keep reading in chapter 35, starting in verse 1. It says, Josiah kept a Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem. 
They slaughtered the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the first month. He appointed the priests to their offices and encouraged them in service of the house of the Lord. I want you to skip down to verse 18. It says this, No Passover like it had been kept in Israel since the days of Samuel the prophet. None of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as was kept by Josiah. And the priests and the Levites and all of Judah and Israel who were present, all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, in the 18th year of the reign of Josiah, the Passover was kept. Again, reestablishing some of the commands that the Lord uh, had commanded his people to do and to keep doing. Uh, some of these things had been done away with from some of the previous kings. Some of these things had been forgotten because they did not have the law but now that Josiah has the law, now that Josiah has been reading the law, he wants to obey it fully. And it says that, no, there's not been a Passover kept like this since the days of Samuel. You go back and you look from verses 2 to verse 18. It gives very detailed descriptions of how he kept the Passover and how many animals were sacrificed. He goes into it very specifically. And so... He wanted to lead the people to obey God, to establish this covenant, the same covenant that was made in the days of Moses. And Josiah was going to be careful to obey, but obey it with all of his heart, to do his best to obey it with all of his heart. And I love the fact that it says there hadn't been a Passover kept like this since the days of Samuel. And what an amazing tribute to the life of Josiah. Lastly, last point, Josiah is killed in battle and buried with his fathers in Jerusalem. He's killed in battle and buried with his fathers. I kind of found this um, ironic in that the prophetess had told him, you'll have peace all of your days and this calamity won't happen till afterwards. And then he's killed in battle. Okay, it's kind of uh, ironic that it happens this way. But we, here we come to the end of Josiah's life in 2 Chronicles 35 and it starts with, and after all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, uh, Necho, the king of Egypt, uh, went up to fight in the north. He did not come up to fight Judah. He was just coming up to fight. Some people say that he was coming up to fight against Assyria. There are some scholars that believe he was coming to fight with Assyria against the Babylonians. Whatever the reason is, Egypt, King Necho, is on his way north. And he has to go through Josiah's territory. And Josiah sees him coming, and he goes out to meet him. And Necho sends his messengers, and he says, Why are you coming up against me, king of Judah? I don't have a problem with you. I don't have an issue with you. I'm just going through the land. We're going to fight up there. I'm heading north. But apparently, Josiah had a problem with it. Um, you have lots of debates on why Josiah would have had a problem with it. Some say, you're just coming through the land. You didn't even bother to ask, so go away. Some people think that at this point, Babylon's already come down and told Josiah, okay, Josiah, listen, you can either be for us or against us. At this point, these people are going up against the Assyrians. Josiah would have hated the Assyrians. So he's like, if they're going up to help Assyria, I don't want them to get there. So I'm going to stand in the way. Whatever the reason... Josiah stands in the way. And so Nico tells him this in verse 21. I am not coming up against you this day, but against the house of which I am at war. 
and God has commanded me to hurry. So cease opposing God who is with me, lest he destroy you, Josiah. Again, there's a lot of debate on what uh, Nico, who his God was in this moment. And was he talking about Yahweh? Did Yahweh really tell Nico to go to Assyria so that he could have them both wiped out by the Babylonians? Possibly. Uh, But here at this moment, we see that Josiah does not listen. And much like Ahab, if you remember the story of Ahab, Josiah disguises himself and he goes into battle with Nico of Egypt. At this point, we see that uh, the archers um, end up wounding King Josiah in battle. He gets hit while he's riding in a chariot and he is carried away on his chariot in which he dies in his chariot headed back to Jerusalem at the age of 39. Uh, He will be buried with the kings. He will be mourned throughout the nation. And his son Jehoahaz will reign in his place. So that's a little bit about King Josiah and how uh, his life comes to an end uh, at the age of 39. So what do we learn from King Josiah? What do we take away uh, today? What do we learn from King Josiah and his reign as the king of Judah? First of all, we should take responsibility for our own personal walk with the Lord. I can't understate this point that I'm trying to make. For those of you who I'm speaking to tonight, you are all older than Josiah was. Uh, Most of us in this room are older than Josiah was when the end of his life came. So I made it a priority. Uh, When you think about Josiah, he made it a priority in his life at a very young age to seek the Lord. Think about that for a second. He didn't even have... The Bible. He didn't even have God's word. Yet he sought the Lord. And that's how he started off in his early years. From a young age, he began seeking the Lord, following after the Lord, wanting to obey the Lord. Um, I think too often in American culture, um, we oftentimes want to make our parents' faith our faith or our spouse's faith our faith. And our faith can be very um, shallow and empty in those times. You have to take personal responsibility for your personal walk with Jesus. You have to take responsibility for it. When you look in the mirror, you will find the person who is responsible for your daily walk with God. You have to take responsibility for it. It doesn't matter who your spouse is. It doesn't matter who your parents are. It doesn't matter where you go to church. We all walk with the Lord. Uh, Dwight Moody says it like this. If I walk with the world, I I cannot walk with God. It's true. You can't do both. You can't have the world and you can't have God too. You have to walk with one or the other. You are responsible. Josiah took responsibility for his walk, even at a young age, and so should we. Secondly, we should get rid of the idols in our lives. We see this in Josiah's life. He made it a priority to get them out of the land. He went to the extremes to get them out of the land. He didn't just tear them down, but he ground them to dust and got rid of them entirely. And I think in our own lives, we have to go to extremes to get idols out of our lives. The problem is we don't want to admit that there are some things in our lives that are idols. Oh, is that really an idol? This TV show, maybe it's this lovely device that we hold in our hands. 
Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a thing. Maybe it's your vehicle. Maybe it's your house. Maybe it's your children. I'm not saying go sacrifice your children and turn them into dust. That's not what I'm saying. But we have to go to extremes to make God the most important thing in our lives. And Josiah said, whatever I have to do to make God most important, I'm going to do it. To lead the nation in that way. You know, um, Matthew chapter 5, there's a part in there where it talks about if your hand causes you to sin, then cut it off. For it's better for your whole body, uh, for your hand to be cast into hell and then your whole body suffer. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Now, is Jesus telling you to cut your hand off or to pluck your out? No, that's not what he's telling us. Because if that was the case, we would all be walking around with no eyeballs and no hands, right? However, that's what he's trying to get a point. The point across of you have to go to extremes to get sin out of your life. You have to go to extremes to get idols out of your life. Hebrews 12, 1, through t- uh, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that which so clings so closely. Yes, we have to get rid of this stuff because it burdens our walk with Christ. It bogs us down uh, so many times in our lives. For us to be totally sold out, we have to get rid of the stuff that hinders our walk with God, that gets in the way of us spending time with God, from reading His Word, from listening to His Word, to obeying His Word. We have to get these things out of our life, and we have to go to extremes. I think that's one of the things Josiah wants to show us in his text. You have to get it out. And We need to lay aside all this other stuff and we need to be devoted fully to Jesus Christ. Thirdly, we should choose the path of greatest resistance. Josiah did not do things the easy way. I think it would have been very easy during Josiah's day to sit back and allow things to take place because he knew that the country was headed into exile. He knew that... Someone was going to come in and wipe them out and take them into exile. He knew that punishment was coming. He knew that God's wrath was going to be poured out on his people. He knew that he was safe. So it would have been very easy for him to just sit back and be like, you know what? Y'all asked for this. I'm good. So I'm just going to sit back and twiddle my thumbs. No. He did everything in his power to lead the people to serve God. He did everything in his power to say, I'm going to serve Yahweh. And as Joshua, one of his leaders that he would have read about, he says, you know, come into Joshua at the end of his life and reminds me of something that Joshua would have said. You know, as for y'all following Yahweh, you can't do it. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Doesn't matter what's going to take place after me. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But what does that look like for you and for me? Um, because it would be very easy for us to look around our world today, for you and for me to look around our world and to see the world that we live in and be like, man, this is a lost cause. The longer this world goes, the worse it gets. Guess what? Josiah lived in that day. What did he choose to do? He chose to seek God. He chose to read his word. He chose to obey his word. That's what he chose to do. And guess what? That's what we are called to do as well. The world has a ton of opinions on how we should live our lives and what we should do. But that's not what God has called us to do. He's called us to be salt. He's called us to be light. He asks us to be willing to take a stand for the truth of God's word. 
even when it's unpopular in our culture today. You know, we just celebrated Reformation Day a few days ago. Martin Luther took a stand on the Word of God. He says, I'm not going to turn from the left or the right of the truth of what God's Word says. I'm going to take a stand. That's what God is calling us to do. And he, like Josiah, chose the path of greatest resistance. And we need to do the same today in our own lives. Lastly, we should always remember that sin still has consequences. You thought you were getting away with this one, right? No, you saw it down there at the bottom. We don't see Josiah sin very much. He doesn't mention a whole lot of what he did. I think in his stubbornness, when Nico came up against him, he kind of uh, was stubborn in that moment, which it ultimately cost him his life. But when we think about the wrath of God, when we think about the wrath of God because of the sins of Manasseh are already in motion, they're already set in motion of what's going to happen to the nation. The outcome is certain. Uh, we know this because God said it was going to happen. Uh, this didn't change Josiah's allegiance to following after God. It didn't change him at all from following after God. However, sin was still going to have its consequences. Even when your grandfather messed up, this is the perfect opportunity. If a king ever had the opportunity to take a stand and look at God and go, this isn't fair. I didn't do anything. Why, why should our people be punished for something granddad did? Because God is holy, holy, holy. And he's going to do exactly what he said he's going to do. And I love the fact that we can rest in that. Remember that even in reading the book of the law, he understood the great sin that was in the nation. When Josiah looked at the nation and the, how the nation was going, even when he was leading reform after reform after reform, he still heard God's law and he still tore his clothes because he realized that the people were living so much in sin. In a world, in a country that seems to be digging itself deeper and deeper in a hole, like the world that we live in today. It would be very easy for us to live a life of discouragement, to live a life that we don't want to try, we don't want to give any effort. I think Josiah probably felt a lot of the same way. But we are called to take a stand. We are called to be people like Josiah, people of action. He didn't just sit back. He's like, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that God is famous in this world. No matter if you people follow me or not, I'm going to do that. And that is what Jesus is. When we think about our King of Kings, what he's called us to. When Jesus was about to ascend into heaven, Matthew 29, he proclaimed to his people, I want you to go. That's an action word. I want you to make. That's another action word, disciples. Baptizing them, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Josiah wanted to do everything in his power to do just that. I'm going to tell everyone about Jesus, about God. And that's what Jesus calls us to. Ultimately, as king, Josiah was awaiting the Savior. But that Savior was Jesus. And it's our job, living on this side of the cross, to point people to God. Guess what? Through Jesus, through the cross. I think Josiah would tell us the exact same thing today. Love God, seek Him, follow Him, and do what He says. Uh, so that's Josiah. Let's pray tonight.